to another episode of the Touch Points podcast put on by East Point Bible Church. In today's episode, we will be continuing in our series, a drawing from the book by J. Oswald Standers, uh, The Cultivation of Christian Character. This is the second part of this 15-part series, focusing on an element of the Christian's character, according to Scripture, that we should be growing in and cultivating in obedience to God's Word. In the first episode of this series, we looked at the biblical definition of spiritual maturity. That is, an attitude or actions in conformity with the example and person of Christ. Spiritual adulthood is exemplified and personified in Christ. And as followers of Christ, we are to be pursuing Christ-likeness, which is spiritual conformity to the person of Christ. We looked at how in Ephesians chapter 4, that we are all growing together in unity as the church to attain to the stature of maturity, which is found in Christ, that we are to be made complete in Christ. When you look at the example and work of Christ here on earth, the way that he lived before his disciples, what image do you think he cast for them to follow? I'm sure we could give dozens of answers uh, that represent an element of Christ's example here on earth that are true, but perhaps the most clear and profound and exemplified examples that Christ gave us during his ministry on earth is that we have to follow Christ as a servant, that Christ himself was the promised servant. Jesus coming to earth as a servant was not coincidental or random, but of eternal purpose. Looking into the Old Testament, there are many prophecies, particularly in Isaiah, of Jesus' servanthood, that the coming of the Messiah would be characterized by him being a servant. Particularly look at Isaiah 42.1, which reads, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The servanthood and servant example of Jesus to his followers was not some arbitrary, coincidental reality that was decided upon. It was instead a eternally determined decree that Jesus would be the suffering servant. The famous messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53 in verse 11, it refers to Jesus as the servant. It reads that as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Jesus as the suffering servant was foreordained by the counsel and wisdom of the Godhead. Sanders writes it this way, Jesus was only manifesting in his time on earth what had already been determined in eternity. On that occasion, his being on earth, he acted out the master principle of service that the highest honor lies in the lowliest of service. Jesus came into the flesh to be viewed as a servant. 
He existed in the form of God in perfect equality, but condescended to earth to take the form of a bondservant. The unfathomable degree of difference and contrast between the form of God, which is the nature of God that Jesus fully existed in, in total equality, and his earthly form of servant shows how serious Jesus coming to earth as a servant was. That he would empty himself to temporarily turn aside equality with God, a thing that he fully had and possessed in nature and in essence, and to assume the form of servant in nature and essence, emphasizes what a critical point Jesus being a servant is. And so the servanthood of Jesus gave us the example and expectations of the one who should follow Christ, that we should be likewise a servant. Consider Jesus's words recorded in John 13, 12 through 15. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. So Jesus's actions, his ministry on earth, left us a pattern or a model to follow. He gave us the prescription of what a God-honoring life looks like, and that is to be servant. That is to be a servant. And so in our calling to be servants, to follow the path of maturity that Jesus walked before us, what do we see in Christ's life that should direct our ministry as servants? Since Christ was a servant and Christ is our example, we too likewise should be servants. But what do we see in his life that specifically illustrates the type of servant Christ was? The first aspect we can reference the passage we just looked at in John chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said that if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The principle is quite clear. Being a servant takes genuine humility. Servants do not get caught up in their own position or in the position of others compared to themselves. But humility is key to serving according to Christ's example. Paul writes in Philippians 2.5 that the attitude of humility, putting others before self without conceit or selfishness, was also in Christ Jesus. To serve well, we cannot be first priority or central to ourselves. A me-focused mentality is not the mark of spiritual maturity. If Christ, the Lord of all things, the creator of all things, was willing to stoop down and to serve and to help and to assist those far and above inferior to him in every single way, on every single basis, moral, um, on the basis of his nature, on the basis of his calling, how much more should we be willing to serve others if Christ the Lord served? 
The second aspect of servanthood is modesty. Not modesty uh, necessarily in terms of dress, but in presentation of self before others. Isaiah 42 verse 2 records that God's chosen servant will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. Is this suggesting that Jesus was quiet, unnoticeable, or easily missed? In appearance, yes. But we know that Jesus taught the truth, proclaimed the truth, and was a witness of the gospel boldly. But what does this prophecy refer to? It's directly referring to that the coming and ministry of the servant was not pretentious, prideful, or attention-seeking. Despite the flocking of crowds that came to see him and the immense amount of people that marveled at him, Jesus was not interested in popularity or attention. Sanders writes this, In his service, self-advertisement was entirely missing. He stole away from the adulation of the crowds. He performed no miracle merely to enhance his own prestige. Servants are modest, just like Jesus was. Servants do not seek to be noticed or seek praise. Servants ultimately serve, not before the eyes of men, but ultimately before the omniscience of God. Servants are not self-promoting or self-endorsing. Jesus, who deserved all attention and all praise from all people, did not seek it, but was both modest in his appearance and his actions. And so a servant does not draw attention to himself for self-gain or self-furtherment like Jesus didn't. The third aspect of servanthood we see from Christ's life is the, the display of compassion and tenderness to those he ministered to. We look again to the initial prophecy we looked at in Isaiah 42, which speaks of the ministry of God's chosen servant in verse 3, which reads, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. This passage is referenced in the Gospels as a direct description of how Jesus ministered here on earth. If we take a look at Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Counts, it becomes evident of his compassionate treatment to those who were lost, sick, suffering, or disenfranchised. Jesus found joy and satisfaction in stooping down to serve those who most ignore. Yes, Jesus was harsh towards those who were self-righteous and false teachers, but consistently tender and gracious towards the lost around him. Being a servant means coming alongside the hurting and the suffering and the needy in a willing compassion, not being disgruntled, not being insensitive, not being ignorant of their vulnerable condition. But servants instead seek to build up those they are around rather than cause damage. The fifth aspect of being a mature servant is visible from the life of Christ, and that is to be spirit-led. Isaiah 43.1 prophesied that the servant of God would have his spirit upon him. Clearly in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit. 
and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the servant. Matthew 12, 18, and in Luke 4, 18, the presence of the Holy Spirit is connected with the servant ministry of Jesus. An aspect of Jesus's incarnation was his, in, his subordination to the will of the Father and the leading of the Spirit. Though having all wisdom, power, and knowledge, Jesus on earth was dependent on the Spirit of God to lead, guide, and empower him during his ministry. Though pre-incarnately having everything, the emptying of himself while here on earth made him dependent on the Father and the Spirit, and he did so willingly. The emptying of himself, as we see in Philippians 2.6, includes the emptying of his independence in assuming dependence while here on earth. Jesus exemplified that the mature servant is led by the Holy Spirit. Looking at us, we are not independent of God, but rather dependent on his power and guidance. Servants not only know of their dependence, but embrace it, and it drives them to be dependent and reliant and led by the Holy Spirit. The servant can only serve as he submits to the Spirit's will rather than following his own. And so if we're not following God's Spirit, then we are not God's servants. The final aspect of mature servanthood is the desire and objective to glorify God in everything. Our great example, our Lord and Savior, sought more than anything else to glorify his Father. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus states the accomplished aim of his earthly ministry. In John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. The chosen servant was to show the glory of God. We see this also prophesied in Isaiah 43 or 49, 3. So like Christ, mature servants have an all-encompassing, consuming goal that the glory of God would be seen and magnified in their lives. It is the motivation that enables servanthood to be done and fulfilled in the harshest of conditions with the greatest sacrifice for the most dislikable of all people. God's glory has the objective that gives us the power to obey. God's glory is a consuming reality for his people, and it is the consuming reality for his servants as it was the consuming reality of Christ here on earth. I hope you've been challenged today by the example of servanthood we see in our Lord's life, that you are challenged to seek God's glory, to be spirit-led, to be compassionate, to be modest, and to be humble as we serve and seek spiritual maturity together. Thanks again for tuning in. Grace and peace be with you. Thank you.